Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. We will definitely catch you then. Hello, everybody. So we are talking about some absolutely crazy things that have been happening over the past few weeks. We had the LMC conference last week. We've had the Doctors Pay Award that came out just a couple of days ago, as well as some other updates around cloud-based telephony. And something that literally, and I do mean literally, has just dropped in the past half hour, which is mind-boggling. And I've already done it. And Andy was like, oh, my God, Gandhi, how is it taking you so much time to do this. And we're going to talk about what that is in a second. Yeah, but it I involves think we need... three questions. <laughs> yeah, 55 yeah. questions. And then if people stick around um, towards the end, we're going to be talking about continuity of care as well and a new yes. um, body that now exists to um, to review patient safety um, incidents. So that'll be interesting to stick around at the end and we'll go a little bit deeper on that. So, yeah. but yeah, and shall we... Finish off oh, on um, a absolutely massive thing that I'm going to be doing on the 14th of December that you will not want to miss out on particularly if you are involved in any way with online consultations. So a little bit of a tease there for you. A little bit of a tease, yeah. Stay, yeah. stay until the end to learn what Gandhi is going to be up to uh, on that day in December. So yeah. shall we kick off with um, LMC conference season? So, yeah. um, so it's always worth keeping an eye on the motions that are going to the LMC conferences mm-hmm. um, you know, that occur in the regions around the UK. Uh, we've had England, I think, last week. Scotland is next week or coming up really, really soon maybe at the end mm. of the week actually um and it's always worth looking out for controversial motions that mm. come up um so um one that's come out of the the england lmc's england's lmc's conference uh, is a vote on um an end to the apms contract so gandhi some people out there might not um understand what an apms contract is or a yep. gms or a pms contract so I, I don't know whether you want to just briefly explain that Sure thing. So there's generally three main contract types within general practice. There's the GMS contract, which is the one that most of us know and talk about with. Particularly, that's the one that's talked about when it comes to the contract negotiations. And that's the main body of contract. So it stands for general medical services. There are some practices out there that still are on a personalized medical service, which was the alternative to GMS that was brought out back in, I think, 2004. Um, but has been on the decline because a lot of areas are moving away from doing that because the government wants as many people on GMS as possible. But an additional thing that was brought out was APMS. And this was brought out similar sort of time to allow other non-GP partnership led um, organizations to take on contracts. And they were typically seen as careholder type contracts. Um, So classically used for things like urgent care centers or, um, like I say, when practices close to take over um, and that kind of stuff. And they often come with a premium. So they typically have higher um, uh, repayment per patient in the capitation compared to gms practices and stuff or they have a reduced subset of work that they have to do 
Um, and I think there's concerns around how this is being used in some parts. Um, and as a result of that, this came as a motion with a view to stopping it being one of the contracting mechanisms, which is really interesting, isn't it, Andy? It wasn't something I was expecting, but yeah, hey, and- it, it was done. Yeah, so so a few just other observations about the APMS contract. So, um, uh, as as you say, it's sometimes used in situations where um, perhaps there's been a problem with a GMS contract. The classic time that you see this is if um, a practice uh, feels they're no longer sustainable, can't get mm. the partners, some other reason, uh, and they hand back their GMS contract. Often, what you find is that um, the locality um, will issue an APMS contract for that practice, and those tend to be um, time limited. So mm-hmm. the GMS contracts and PMS contracts, they they last forever. So unless you hand that contract back or it's forcibly it's taken from you because of contract breach, you know, it, it's yours. They, there's no need to uh, to retender or renew that contract. But an, an APMS contract typically has a time limit when it is then retendered and you mm-hmm. might lose your right to provide that service. And I think typically that's around 10 years. It's often a premium because often it's a circumstance when um, other traditional contractors are not wanting to provide the service in that area or don't feel it's mm-hmm. val- feel it's viable. So it comes often with a premium. Um, and GMS and PMS contracts uh, technically can only be held by um, by individuals who are partners. And one person on that partnership needs to be a qualified GP, uh, you yeah. know, eligible to hold the contract. And APMS can be held by other legal structures like companies. So there you go. As I say, there's there's some concern that this has been um, a route into general practice delivery for um, you know uh, larger corporations, private businesses, corporations, etc. Yeah, multinationals, and that actually recently um, a lot of those have been handing back these contracts um, or looking to exit the UK market because they don't find it profitable. Um, mm. You know, the likes of, of Babylon and, and Operos, uh, and that's causing a lot of problems for local areas in terms of what you know they're wondering what is going to happen to um the patients who are looked after under one of those contracts so anyway that's enough background so the motions um so uh, the conference notes the recent announcements regarding private providers of nhs general practices withdrawing from their contracts and mm-hmm. calls for an end to apms as a contractual option for general practice this would pass um Two, demands that any new or retendered GP core contract is offered as a GMS contract when the successful applicant is able to hold such a contract. Passed and demands that no funding over and above standard GMS should be provided to commercial organisations wishing to run NHS general practice contracts in England. Passed. So interesting. Yeah. What, yep. What's your reaction, Gandhi? Um like I said, I was surprised that this was a motion. Um, I think APMS contracts actually do have their function um, because when you take over a practice, actually there is additional costs and work that needs to go in for whatever reason that may be. If that's down to a CQC closure, then there's absolutely some work that needs to be done there. If it's due even to a retirement or someone handing back the contract, there's a significant amount of change management. Now, should that be the capitation that, that's the driving force for that or should it be a, I don't know, a lump sum to provide for that? I think there may be different understandings, but the current mechanism is is based off the capitation and stuff. So that's how it works. Um, I think the concept of having commercial organisations having a different mechanism is an interesting one. And I think it may address some of this whole people coming in and then leaving and dumping it. But then 
also it does massively affect the care that may be delivered. So you and I both know that in the in local Nottingham area, there was an APMS contract for one of the, the practices centrally that was changed to do a GMS contract. And actually managing that has been really difficult for the new organisation because of the fact they've had so much reduced service and, and, and resources compared to the previous one that the expectation was it delivers the same service when that was never going to be possible when they've got less funds. Yeah, I think I'd be concerned if if the movement away from APMS to GMS was used to defund um, practices, you know, particularly looking after um, specialised populations, perhaps where there's high substance misuse, you know, multiple deprivation. There might be reasons why an APMS contract is in place, mm-hmm. as you say. Although I would say um, I don't think there's always a significant premium associated with APMS contracts, even these days. And, that you know, over time that's been eroded. And okay. I think some of the new ones are fairly equalised with, with GMS. Um, my other observation is I think this motion is is sort of using this as a as a mechanism reading the preamble and the content mm-hmm. um as uh, to try and sort of restrict access to um to, to gp contracts for, for private organizations i think that's sort of part of the sentiment behind yeah. it but it doesn't always prevent that you know um a lot of these organizations actually hold uh, and run gms contracts as well um mm-hmm. through um having uh, some sort of uh, involvement in the partnership with the key individual within that organization i think we get very technical around contracting here um, but um but i'm not sure it will do exactly what's what's needed i think it's a very interesting message though that it, it says. is um and, and to be clear there were lots of other motions that were passed at the conference and stuff um uh we haven't focused on some of the others because actually there was a lot that was happening elsewhere but i would definitely recommend you go back and have a look at some of the conference um, feedback and coverage and stuff especially um dr katie bramwell stainer's um address it was spectacular there's no other word for it it was spectacular um so if you want to hear a really powerful message for general practice just just go back and watch it, please it was amazing but so, since then we've had other things happen as well haven't we andy um including yeah. tell us about that yeah, so the so we're just looking north of the border. So the Scottish LMC also Scottish LMCs also meeting, um, and their annual conference uh, is uh, on Friday, first of December. Um, so they're also having a vote on uh, on contracts That's tomorrow. Models. Yeah, that's the They're also having a vote on contracting models, but it's quite it's sort of almost the mirror image of the vote that's happening <laughs> in England. So they're they're voting to move to a, a fully salaried GP service. And actually, uh, the GMS contract is in their crosshairs. So just to I'll just read out the uh, the motion. So um, so proposed by Lothian LMC, um, this uh, th- this conference recognizes the failure of the 2018 GP contract and one believes that partly consequent to the Scottish government reneging on its commitment to deliver in full the new GP contract, that the current model of general practice, that the current model of general practice is broken. So that's one thing they'll, bro- they'll vote on, is the con- is the model of general practice broken. Two, calls on the uh, Scottish GPC to explore an alternative to the 2018 GMS contract that is fit for purpose, appropriately funded, and more reflective of the needs of general practice patients in Scotland. Three, believes the independent contractor model is no longer fit for purpose. That's the most controversial one, I think. Yep. Uh, and four, calls for the Scottish GPC to enter into negotiations to move to a fully salaried GP service with equivalent terms and conditions to our consultant colleagues. That's interesting mm-hmm. as well. So uh, we don't know what the vote will be, and maybe we'll come back to this next time to see how the vote's landed. How would you vote, Gandhi? Um, I guess you're not in Scotland, which is 
Are you doing? Well, yeah. we, don't, we don't know the Scottish kind of politics and the ins and outs, no. but um, yeah, what's um, Well, I know they had a slightly different contracting term um, compared to us. So we moved towards PCNs, they moved towards, and I, I don't know what it is specifically, unfortunately, but it was something different, very much more um, kind of integrated model, if I remember rightly, where some of the property stuff was taken over by the local areas, health boards or whatever they call them and stuff. And it was kind of like a salary service, but not quite. It was meant to be a kind of a risk gain sharing um, mechanism, I believe. Um, but it sounds like it hasn't worked as well as people had hoped. Um, I think there's been pros and cons from what I've heard. Um, but it sounds like it's not working very well for some people out there. And as a result, of that, they've clearly put this motion through, which is interesting because it's one of the first ones I've seen... Because there's been talks, obviously, about general practice going to a salary service. If this was to pass, this is probably the first time that it's going to happen somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be an interesting precedent to set. But also, I think England will be looking at this quite interestingly you know, from that point of view. I know. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was talk from our politicians, um, uh, you know, both on both sides of the aisle, Conservative and Labour, about moving to a salary mm. service. And then I think both sides sort of backpedalled from that once they fully understood the consequences um, of moving to that sort of service, you know, the loss of mm-hmm. uh, discretionary effort, um, you know, from partners that they put in because it's their own business, you know, as, as one example of something that would be lost. Um so, uh, you know, so I think south of the border, you know, it feels like things sort of moving towards being or remaining fairly supportive of um, the independent contractor model. So, yeah, interesting that mm-hmm. things are very different north of the border. Be interested to see how, how things go. Um, mm-hmm. hmm. Yes, interesting. But interesting that they're, it's very different to um, to the question in yep. England. So two two interesting questions. Just we've got a few people watching. You know, if anyone mm-hmm. wants to comment on how they would vote or what they feel about these these questions, you know, the health of the independent contractor model or moving to a fully salaried service or abolishing APMS contracts. You know, interested to know what people think out there. Yep. And if you don't comment on that, you should comment on this next thing that we're talking about. So um, literally dropped in the past half hour. It seems the BMA are on the back of the LMC conference doing a survey for the entire general practice population. So what does this mean? Well, um, I think Andy's put it on screen, haven't you? So I need to show it. There we go. Uh, yeah. So it's a survey. And if you want to go to the survey, it's www.research.net slash r slash bma gp 23 and the reason why i put that is there's a separate link going around on some of the whatsapp groups unfortunately doesn't seem to work as well um but this one is the correct link and stuff and it's the same as the qr code going around and um it is a survey that basically asks your opinions about the future of general practice it does what it says on the tin i've done it it was 55 questions. <laughs> um, now, remember, five of those questions are the standard demographic stuff that you get at the end. Um, and actually, I do think most of the questions are pertinent, relevant and sensible to ask. Mm. But it took me a good 20, 25 minutes. And that's me rocketing on. Um, I, I did have a couple of issues with some of the questions. One of them was really ambiguous, which was number 23 for me, which talks about how PCN, um, our staff are in your practice. I didn't quite understand whether it meant whether it was directly employed like a lead employer or whether it just meant working in your practice. So I've done the best I could with that one. Um, but yeah, lots of questions in there around various different aspects of general practice, what you want to keep, what you want to get rid of, PCNs, ours, mm. various other stuff. It is a really good, I must admit, it's a good survey. I just wish it was a little bit... Hey, GP Lenners, have you heard about Epic? 
the EGP Learning Poblast Implementation Consultation with myself and somebody else from out there in primary care. That's right, whether they're in practice, PCN or wider areas, it's about the journey they've been through to make a change in the working life that they do for the benefit of either their patients, their practice teams or themselves and how they went through that journey so you can learn from it and hopefully implement similar or something different in your area. We're going to hear about the highs, the lows, the pros, the cons and the journey they went through to make this a reality. So it's your opportunity to learn from our fellow EGP learners. I'm Dr. Gandalf of EGP Learning, which is designed to help you understand primary care and the tech around it. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast to get every epic episode, as it's going to be podcast first. And let's get ready to go epic. Multiple choice, Gandhi, or free text, or what's the general uh, format? Majority is multiple choice. The, the parts that took the longest were the ordering questions. So there's quite a few questions where you order your preference of stuff, um, and I found that quite difficult because I'm a well, I'm a bit indecisive when it comes to those kind of ones. Always trying to figure out which one means more to me. It, it's a good way of doing a survey, to be honest, because it makes mm-hmm. you think about what's important to you. Um, but most of it is MCQ slash uh, multiple. Um, yeah, questions and stuff um and there's one that's a massive table about what services should be gp contract what services should be direct enhanced services what should be local enhanced services what should not be part of the contract and what you're not sure about um that i think was a genius question but it did take me a few, a few seconds to kind of figure out what he was asking and, and actually uh, i think there's going to be a lot of different answers for that one uh, rather interestingly so um interesting i'll get i'll get mine done soon um i guess the purpose the reason the gmc are, are doing this is to um so that they can come to the next year's contract negotiations mm-hmm. which i guess must be getting underway pretty soon um armed with the uh, opinions and feelings and priorities of uh, gps out there so that they can properly represent their interests so it's really important that they get as as much data as much input from GPs and as good quality data as they can. Mm. So we'd really encourage people to, to support the BMA. Um, for those that are wa- negotiations. Yeah. And for those of you that are watching us live, I have also now put it in the chat so you can click on that directly and maybe even start filling it in as we go along and tell us what you think of the questions as we go along. We were going to get Andy to do it live, but because there's so many questions, we thought it'd take too long. Yeah, it would um, be boring, I think. <laughs> yeah although i think it still would be interesting in some ways but yeah who knows yeah. um you do have to put your gmc number in so there is a way of verifying in terms of your answering the questions and, and stuff from there um but mm. i guess like you say andy part of the reason they're doing this is to feed into the contract negotiations and i think we need to talk about another contract negotiation that came out just this week which was the consultant pay awards um and so this broke uh, a couple of days ago and it's raised a lot of stuff in the media um, mainly because apparently they're getting a 20% pay uplift. Or are they? <laughs> well, we, we can have a look at the tables uh, in a minute, but it, it looks like there's been an agreed sort of pause for strike action uh, while the BMA prepare to ballot consultants um, about this um, proposed deal, uh, which involves two things. So it involves um, a pay increase. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get to the tables in a minute. And it also involves a review to the um, the Docs and Dentists Pay Remuneration Board, which is uh, the board that produce a report every year making uh, pay recommendations. So recommends the kind of percentage uplift for doctors and dentists in the UK on an annual basis. And I couldn't find actually the a detailed 
description of those changes, apart from saying that they want to safeguard the independence of this body. And I think there's been some suggestions that maybe the, the figures that come out have been sort of kind of convenient for for the, the government. Uh, don't want to be too controversial, but um, uh, it might not fully represent what's needed to keep the right people, you know, in, in mm-hmm. job and uh, and and allow those people's uh, paying conditions to keep pace with inflation, for example. Um, so shall we go to the tables, Gandhi? Because I think that's the easiest. Yeah, I think that's probably the main thing. So um, the, the big kind of news headline that hit about this is that consultants are getting a 20% pay uplift. And that is partly true. OK, so well, it, yeah, do you want to go through it? Go, well, I was just going to say it goes. So um, they're including the doctors and dentist review boards, 6% increase that was mm-hmm. um, suggested over the summer and suggested to be backdated to April. So that was kind of already recommended. And then there is an additional increase, which I think is an average of 4.98 or something across the different grades. But it does vary um sort of consultant um you know level of experience um to other levels of experience and on on one of the uh, rows of the table the composite increase so this row here eight uh is 19.6 so i think that's where the mm-hmm. news stories have come about a pay increase of 19.6 but some of the some of the uh, consultants will be getting a just a, a total six percent pay rise um mm-hmm. for example with, with no additional pay rise so it is really really variable and i think the average uh comes out at about um, 11 or something like that um mm-hmm. so that's perhaps the one to report more than 20 um so i guess this is what they'll be voting on um together with the 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 changes to protect the independence of the docs and dentists yeah. pay review uh, board um there are some other sort of tweaks to the the definition of um their administrative sessions for example um and so forth but anything else jumped out at you about this gandhi i'll leave the um, so it's a simplification screen. process, first of all. So it puts the consultants to four different pay groups, which currently I believe there's about seven different pay groups, um, if I remember rightly. Um, so there's el- definitely an element of simplification process in this. I think the interesting thing is when you look at the spread of the percentages in terms of the total increases, it definitely seems to favor the more experienced um, consultants, so those in the higher bandings and stuff. And I guess listening to the forums, there seems to be this push that this will potentially cause a divide because this consultants who are um more experienced higher up and stuff there's a better benefit for them and are they in some instances trying to buy them off me i i don't know um we're, we're not consultants so this doesn't apply to us um and we completely accept the fact that we don't understand this 100 percent um but it's an interesting phasing that seems to happen that if you look at for example that orange band majority of them have just about a six percent increase which is what's being offered for um basically just this year whereas if you go down to the you know the the, the, almost everybody in the the higher band has a 17.2 percent total increase you know double or almost triple you know the 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 younger kind of less experienced bands and stuff Mm. um and there's probably more people in that lower band at the moment. Because you, there's loads of smelling some, smelling some tactics here, potentially. Um, mm. Well, I guess it's not something that we're familiar with. Um, no. But but it's interesting to see the differentials across the different grades. Mm. Um, so, yeah, maybe someone out there knows a consultant. <laughs> maybe you are a consultant. And, uh, you know, maybe you can post some some opinion in the chat. Give us yeah. um, 
But before it. any of our secondary care colleagues start telling us where we've got the holes in this, we accept that we probably have got some holes in this assessment. So feel free to tell us, um, but please don't shout at us too loudly. Uh, we can see how the ballot goes as well, because they can obviously yeah. put this to the members and, and see whether people approve of this mm-hmm. deal or not. So that'd be kind of an interesting indication, I suppose, as to where other pay disputes you know might might potentially land in, in terms of the figures. Definitely. There we go. Um, and then I guess when we're talking about pay, I think there's other things we wanted to talk about. And that was in particular about um, an update that's happened in general practice. So let's bring it back to our core. Um, and if we're talking about core stuff, one of the big things that was came out of the modern general practice um, kind of support, shall we say, is the benefit of cloud-based telephony. Um, a lot of the financial support for that was based on taking practices that had analog systems up to digital and particularly cloud-based telephony. But it seems like that there's going to be a change in that with um, a update to the cloud-based telephony or digital purchasing framework um, work that's being done. So that may sound like complete bump to most people because <laughs> um, there's lots of acronyms and weird words in there. But basically, it seems like they've realized that there are more practices out there that have um, not complete cloud-based telephony systems and they are looking to help the transformation of those practices up to the required level of cloud-based telephony systems um, which are those that are on the better purchasing framework does that make sense andy yeah essentially this letter confirms additional support for practices that are on digital telephony but with lower functionality than the national standards as set out in the better purchasing framework so i think it's providing some clarity that they can be supported um, Mm -hmm. on telephony systems as well which is really really welcome um i guess something interesting here is it, it sets out some timelines and also um sets out a sort of standard for modern digital telephony solutions that they must meet all of these criteria um here i don't know whether we're wanting to read them gandhi or uh let's have a quick read shall we andy uh, do you mind doing that yeah so um so also attendant to enable routing of calls, so call routing. So I guess you can think, does your does your telephone service, you know, do all of these things? Mm-hmm. Um, callback and call queuing functionality. So I'm thinking, check, check. Uh, support for remote working and business continuity. Okay, question mark for me actually around that. I, mm-hmm. I think we might be able to do that, but I'm not sure. I need to check with the provider. Uh, enhanced reporting capability to support capacity demand service planning. Call volume, so numbers, not how loud they are, I think. Um, call times to answer. Uh, and waiting in a queue, calls abandoned, wait time before call abandoned, callbacks requested uh, from in queue position, callbacks made, average call length times, no answer uh, numbers as well. The numbers not mm. answered. So actually, I'm not sure we've got callback functionality, but maybe that's something that we haven't enabled mm. at the moment. So I think actually as probably does most of that. We find the data really useful from our telephone system, actually. Uh, you get really, really rich data. So which, which, which telephone numbers have rang us the most? And then you can sort of use that telephone number to search within the clinical system and see kind of who which mm-hmm. patients are ringing you the most. And then you can think, why, why is that? And you can kind of reach out to those patients. So there's lots of benefits from having a good functioning um, cloud-based telephony solution. Yeah. Um, but so, so those people that don't quite meet those criteria um, sort of can be uh, prioritized. Um, here we go. Prioritization will target funding to practice that are unable to meet the functional requirements as set out in the annex. So that's those things that we just covered and then it talks about the uh timeline in terms of what will happen next just interesting to note that this document is targeted at sort of icb leaders digital yep. it's not being it's not targeted at practice managers or even pc and clinical directors so i'm assuming that these are actions that the icb will initiate um 
but ICB validates practice eligibility and sends a proposed long list. So that must be people that don't meet it um, mm-hmm. by December the 5th to that. Which is next Tuesday. Yep. And then ICB <laughs> requests long list practices. So this is where your ICB might be reaching out to you to convert their agree- to confirm their agreement to sign up in principle by 18th of December. So your your ICB might be reaching out to you to, um, to sign something. So this is what it's about, this document. Um, and then... Um, Confirming that the practice agrees to provide current life contract details, including contract expiry date, engage with NHS England, National Commercial and Procurement Hub, select a supplier by the 15th of January, sign a contract with the supplier by the 2nd of February, uh, and go live by the 25th of March. So I guess in time for the next um, sort of financial year. year in April. So, mm-hmm. so that's what's happening. So quite clear about the timelines and about the requirements. Um, and if your ICB is reaching out to you about cloud-based telethony, it might be because you're on this uh, this long list of um, practices that don't meet uh, the current standards. Definitely. And I think there's some awesome providers out there. I, I know I covered one recently on the channel. So if people did want to go check that out, go check out Check. Um, also covered other providers in the past, so in particular Exxon, um, both excellent providers from my point of view. But do go have a look if you want to go have um, see what is available. What I do know is that they provide some really cool functionality that I think analog providers definitely do not provide. And I think there are some other providers who just don't match up to what I've seen um, elsewhere and stuff. So um, the better purchasing framework, I think, has really rocketed a lot of these providers to, to show what they can offer. Um, and there are some really cool things I think you can now start doing with, with, with some of these providers and stuff. So do have a look at them. So Gandhi, the cost is obviously the thing to be mindful of, though. So, Gandhi, if I wanted to go and look at this list of the approved providers, uh, where would I find that? I asked playfully. <laughs> so it's called the Better Purchasing Framework. Finding the actual list of names we found really difficult. Um, I don't think it's publicly available, actually. It, yeah, we, we we had a look around their website that, that was linked through, and we, we we couldn't really find the list. I'm sure somebody out there maybe can find the list and 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 help us out and let us know. But we were, I was just curious to see who was on the list, but it was a bit yeah. difficult to find out. It'd be nice if NHS England literally just had here's a list of providers. Now they did do that for the online consultation providers mm-hmm. previously, but even that list is still harder to find now. It's, mm-hmm. I know it's taken me ages to find it. And now it's just individual kind of provider links and stuff. So who knows, maybe, maybe it will come back because I know it's, they keep having to extend the deadlines for it because they're trying to get more and more providers available for it and stuff, but it, maybe they will provide it soon or, or not. <laughs> we, we will see. Um, so we talked a lot about contracts. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, pay changes and that kind of stuff. We've even talked about telephony. How about we talk about something a little bit more near and dear to general practice and what it can really do when it works well? And that's continuity, isn't it, Andy? Yeah. So last year, Gandhi, my heart leapt when I read the <laughs> um, Health and Social Care Select Committee uh, report into uh, the future of general practice. My heart leapt because there was uh, quite a lot of focus on... Written by a current <laughs> chancellor as well, former health secretary, Jeremy Hunt, who seems to have disappeared from the health perspective since then, but hey. Well, he's, he's been very busy, I guess. But but um, but my heart leapt because it, it talks about continuity, which was something that was quite absent from other um, strategic documents at the time, although we're seeing continuity um, mentioned a little bit more now, um, you know, as we move forwards, but something really core to general practice. Um, so... There's been um, so we did a little sort of dig around, really. So we saw a, 
a headline in um, Impulse, longtime friend of the podcast. Um, GP contract should include essential continuity of care uh, requirements. Um, we learned some things actually just digging around this really. So um, there's a, a new body. So the Health Services and Safety Investigations body um, has uh, produced a report uh, and that report has made recommendations around um uh, including a requirement for in the next contract to support continuity of care and to provide IT systems that support continuity of care as well. And we had a little dig and we sort of learned something really. So we thought, who is the health and services safety investigations body? So it's a bit small here actually, uh, but we're on their website, but essentially they are a fully independent arm's length body of the department of health and social care um, and their purpose is to investigate patient safety concerns and provide an independent um, opinion and, and recommendations on those not to apportion blame but to kind of handle the learning side of things and it's a new body it's um, just came into operation from the 1st of October 2023 so we might be seeing more reports from this body um, mm -hmm. and the report that was um, discussed in the Pulse article uh, was this one really so it's it's um, it's following an incident involving a patient, so Brian, so presumably male, um, who had a history of breast cancer, had back pain, presented. Um, in the course of their investigation, they found that he presents to lots of different people and lots of different types of clinician with this back pain um, and actually wasn't sort of managed definitively for a number of months, I think about eight months, and then had an emergency attendance at the uh, emergency department and was found to have uh, spinal meds. Um, from from their cancer so it's an anonymized you know re report about uh this patient um and they sort of investigated it and actually um they felt that the lack of continuity of care was a significant factor in this case and we'll just go down to the recommendations uh really and i'm gonna zoom in so just so there's something usable on the screen um so they make two recommendations, really. So recommend that the Department of Health and Social Care ensure that the GP contract explicitly includes and supports the need for GP practices to deliver continuity of care. This is to improve patient safety by building clinician-patient relationships, as well as providing continuity of information. And then they also recommend um, that NHS England updates the GPIT standards to ensure that patient continuity of care is maintained, including the identification and prioritisation, technically known as clear surfacing, of information to help to health and care professionals when patients visit GP practice multiple times with unresolving symptoms. So I think this is about okay. flagging up multiple attendances and flagging up multiple attendances with this with the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. So those are the two um, recommendations. And then we've dug a, a little bit further uh, into continuity because it piqued our interest. But mm -hmm. but first of all, Gandhi, any any thoughts about those recommendations before we just sort of finish by um... looking at continuity? So absolutely agree with the first in terms of anything to support continuity of care would be valued and making. I'm noticing Gandhi's survey does out. ask about this as well. Um, oh, have you got me, you're, Andy? Yeah, you're a bit choppy there, Gandhi, but maybe just say that again for everyone's benefit. Um, so apologies benefit. if they go a bit wappy there. Um, but I was saying that I think having continuity as part of the contract is actually a positive thing. Um, obviously, that needs to flow with finance, in my view. Um, but I think it's always a positive element to have within the contract and stuff. Um, and as, as I said, it is also in the BMA survey, that question as well. Um, I think the second one is doable, to be honest, but that comes down to the system providers to work on that one, to be honest. You know, it, it's kind of like um, when you go shopping on websites and it says, oh, you're previously looking at this item. 
you want to have a look at it again? You know, something like that would actually be really useful because then it can help you wade through the the bump that is actually happening with a lot of IGP records because we're getting now so many people adding to them that it's really easy to lose some of the information mm. and, you know, coded codes and all the other kind of stuff, SMSs may be saved into the records. You know, it, it makes the records much harder to navigate and, and see. So it is actually easier to miss stuff and mm. repeat presentation unless you use kind of views and that kind of stuff. And obviously that's something yeah. I love to do. Um, but I know a lot of people don't and, and yeah. that can add to the problem. And in this case, um, I think the person was seen across multiple like organisations as well. So yeah. you know, walk-in centres, uh, you know, emergency departments, GP surgeries, community care settings, and you know, they're not currently all, always linked together no, very well not. at all. Mm. So that's something that could be improved as well. Often the data ends up in the GP records, but it's not sort of coded or readable um, mm. in a way that uh, makes it easy to spot multiple attendances with different things. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think this would be you know, this is, I think this is positive. I think there have been changes to the contract to prioritize access. And I think where you prioritize access, but you don't put any emphasis on continuity, often the two things are at odds. So I think that does, that has caused continuity to be down prioritized, I think, um, which is a big shame. And I think probably does put patients at risk at times as well, depending on the circumstances. So I welcome that change, but you're right. uh, We shouldn't be asking practices to do things that are not properly uh, funded if we're asking them to make significant changes or do you know do things mm-hmm. differently um and then go on gandhi you took now i was just going to say so we were going to talk about this um report from the health foundation that also came out at a similar time 15 minute read actually we enjoyed having a read of it and it's yeah. got some really good graphics and stuff in it but the big one was i think the types of continuity metrics yeah. wasn't it Let's just scroll down. So the Health Foundation, they publish a lot around inequalities work and yeah. amongst other areas. So really, really good website, lots of good publications. So I think if we scroll down, because there are some good boxes, really, because just go, what types of continuity are there? This was really interesting. So they break it down into relational continuity. So and this is further broken down into longitudinal continuity. So this is um, seeing the same GP as often as possible. Um, mm-hmm. conditional continuity so that's more defined as seeing the same gp for the same problem um, and then episodic continuity um, so it's seeing the same gp for kind of a short period of time or short period of being unwell that might be for different different problems uh it's about managerial continuity so this is about having yep. actually good handovers between mm-hmm. different people and informational continuity so this is about having uh, everyone having good access to good quality accurate up-to-date patient records um going as far as they actually that that enable patients to not need to repeat their histories uh of their symptoms to multiple conditions which is something that really um can um annoy patients i think um and of course we often do that because we're we're always sort of trained to take the history ourselves and we're aware that sometimes the history changes and evolves over time so there are reasons why um we often ask the same questions again um but i guess where those things aren't changing they're, they're keen for that to um to only, things to only be asked once so yeah any thoughts about that as we scroll down to the next box candy well like you say there's the different types I, I probably categorize it so you've got that um relationship continuity based on you know potentially the whole cradle to grave and then you've got that stuff around um potentially a chronic health issue so like the people that manage that side of things versus the 
exacerbation of a health issue like an asthma attack and that kind of thing then like you say you've got the managerial kind of continuity which is very much i think how hospitals probably work you know transfer work between firms and that kind of things and shifts and stuff and it can work really well can also not work very well and then informational is that stuff like you said about sharing the right information definitely between providers so general practice out of hours walking centers a e that part could definitely improve um it then talks about the measures of continuity and we, it took us a little bit of time to get our head around this didn't it andy but actually it's quite interesting yeah um do you want to talk us through the, the yeah. three different metrics i think we got there so it, it, it talks about three different ways of measuring continuity essentially so the the upc the usual provider of care index i think this is the the simplest so mm-hmm. um and they give the example here so if a patient has four contacts and three of them you know across a given period of time so say a year and three of them are with the same person then their upc index would be 0.75 so 75 percent of the time they saw the same person so that's pretty easy to to understand um and probably easy to calculate um from interrogating records um, about who's you know, who consultations have been with. Then there's the the Bryce Boxerman Continuity of Care Index, the COC Continuity of Care mm-hmm. Index. Uh, this was a little bit hard to get our head around, but essentially, I think this this seeks to take the UPC and then just control for who those other contacts are with. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I guess with the usual provider of care, someone might see have ten contacts, and you know six could be with the same person, and then. Uh, the other four could be with individual uh, different people, four other people. So there's seen five people over those 10 things of care. But, you know, actually it would be sort of near 0.6 with their UPC. Um, whereas the country of care index sort of takes into account what happens in those others, because actually they might have saw six, you know, six of those might be one person. The other four might have been with another person. So um, in both of those examples, the UPC would be the same. But clearly there's been more continuity when they've only seen two people over the course mm-hmm. um, of all of those 10 episodes. So it seeks to control for that. And then the final one is the St. Leonard's Index of Continuity of Care. And this looks at it slick. from the... Yeah, slick, slick. And this looks at it from the from the kind of the doctor's perspective. So it's sort of how many times is the doctor in an organisation seeing the same patients? And that's mm-hmm. the direction that that comes from. And there might be instances where it's you know, it's logical to, to look at that um as well so um so that's really interesting and then they they took these measures and they they did a few things with them so um shall we look at some of the charts yeah so um so they looked at so because you care decreases as number of gp visits increase um so essentially they're looking at the um over time uh what the uh upc um index was uh depending on how many people uh, how sorry, how many visits the person had to their GP over the previous 12 months. Hopefully people got that there. But basically this top line is if they just had three visits and actually uh, they were able to see the same person about, you know, 50 to 60 percent of the time mm-hmm. and actually increasing as we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, whereas if there's nine plus, well, actually uh, really difficult for those people to see the same person. Yeah. And actually, really, really nearly impossible around September 2020 based on this data. So, not impossible. It's one of those graphs that starts at 0.45. It's not starting at zero. So, I find no. these sorts of graphs often misleading. Annoying. But we can see the yeah. differences. It's emphasizing the differences in this bunched data, which is bunched around uh, 0.45 to 0.6. So, just be careful when you're looking at this graph. So, um, 
and then let's see it breaks down by all sorts of different things actually so um deprivation uh is something that the health foundation look a lot at um and this is looking at the most deprived on the left versus the least deprived on the right so if you look at someone with three contacts over 12 months actually you're looking at about um you know 0 0.5 in your upc index in a least mm -hmm. deprived area actually it's it's getting up closer to six for a lot of the time so people's constitution is better uh in in less deprived areas which probably comes as no surprise um to people and then they look at all sorts of different things i mean uh, we maybe won't uh you know go through all of these graphs but we just wanted to highlight that this is a really interesting report and if you need to make uh you know your case for continuity of care um you know locally or to your uh place or your pcn or your system this is a good place to come um for data and if you want to make that point about you know inequality then it's a good place to come um as well um they also look at using the gp patient survey we talk mm. a lot about that don't we gandhi yeah um, about the quality of the data um there but they present some findings from the gp patient survey and basically people's perception of continuity is going down <laughs> over time and that's probably yep. become as no surprise um and uh people who work or who spend more time with um, kind of structured duties, like looking after, you know, family members, being care of things like that, um, they struggle more with continuity than people who are fully retired or permanently off sick. Again, that's probably my experience. Actually, it tends to be the the pensioners often find they they seem to find a way to to see you, um, you know, more often or seeing the same doctor mm -hmm. more often. But that's probably a reflection that they have more time, you know, in which to. To, to try and do that and availability for appointments um we're just going to dip to the bottom it actually breaks it down by um by ethnicity which i think is is really interesting to look at if people are interested in that then have a look at that table and finally they do link out to um some evidence about the benefits of continuity of care so this section for why measuring continuity of care matters and they actually link out some research that demonstrates that where there is more continuity of care for a patient in a system there are uh, fewer hospital admissions and higher patient satisfaction and actually those are things that we should be looking for in the nhs so um you know that's a, a good reason i guess getting back to where we started to um to have give a higher priority to continuity mm -hmm. of care as we talk about what we want from our general practice system and contract so that's that gandhi mm-hmm so we've talked about loads of stuff in today's session. So thank you for joining us if you stuck around with us for the live. And if you're watching us on the replay, definitely let us know what you're thinking. Before we finish up, we have got one more big thing to go through. But just to recap, we've talked about LMC conferences. We've talked about changes to contracts. We've talked about the Scottish people cohorts potentially moving to a salaried <laughs> system. We've talked about this massive BMA survey that's going around that you absolutely need to complete. And the links to that are in the... The, the notes and stuff and as well as on the screen at the time as well as changes to the uh, cloud-based telephony purchasing and continuity in its importance in general practice we're going to finish by talking about one more thing which is something i'm doing um in about two weeks time on the 14th of december absolutely hope you can come and join us and it's going to be um something i haven't done for a couple of years and it's a digital first consultations comparison so these are seven of the main online consultation providers and you'll get to see what they are currently offering at the same time so that's fantastic yeah so i did who, this who, who uh, you got coming who's so um definitely booked on i've got accurix i've got econsult i've got anima and 
Engage Consult, and there are three others. I'm just waiting to confirm everything with them. And some of them are names that you haven't come across probably as well. So some new players to the market, I think you would definitely need to have a look. I know a lot of people are going to be saying, well, what about TPP? Because they've got their System Connect offer that's coming through. They are not joining the live stream. However, they are doing something in January that we're going to be releasing to showcase what it is because that product's still in development um, currently. So don't worry. Um, I just felt that them being on the stream with a non-functioning product at the moment was just probably not great for everybody in that sense. But they're also going to be on the, the channel soon as well. So I would highly recommend you join us for that. If you do want to do so, just click that little notification button at the side that will remind you about it. It's the 14th of December at 1 p.m., um, I have no idea how I'm going to keep everybody to time on this one because we've got seven providers all showcasing um, simultaneously um, as to what they're going to do. So do feel free to join us, ask your questions, jump in, join in. It's going to be monumental. Because of that session, myself and Andy are not going to pump out anything next week because I'm also on leave. And then the week after that, we've I think you're going to try and get something ready on the Confed stuff, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, we'll potentially get something ready on uh, the NHS Confederation um, document that came out that, that people think might be, um, you know, informing some of the contract changes um, that yeah. might be coming up in the future beyond those in 2024, which are probably going to be a, a con, con, more of the same. So that'll be interesting. So hopefully we'll get that up for the week after but uh yeah again i'll probably be watching this one on the 14th of december uh you know recorded afterwards which of course everybody can do and i think this is absolutely the to get loads of users recorded content as well um yes loads of people will be you know selecting or you know their electronic consultation platform for the first time or maybe people you know looking yep. for change you know uh yeah, see what definitely. else is out there see if the grass is greener so i think that'll be uh, a and really good session also if you join for that you will find out what our christmas special is going to look like as well as soon as Andy sends me his recording for it. I know. It might be <laughs> morning now. Oh, it's been busy. It's been busy, Candy. It has been busy. But we hope you've had a great time joining us in this live stream. Absolutely. Let us know what you think down below as ever. And we will catch you definitely next time. If you do want to join in for that digital one, the link to it is coming up right here. Alternately, there's probably something else coming up down here. And we will catch you in the next episode. Have a great evening, everybody. Oh, hello there, EGP Learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf, and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because, let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore, trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right, if you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com 
Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1course.